You can be seated this morning. We're going to kick off a brand new series today called Transformation. And I've been really excited about this sermon series because transformation is one of our core values. And if you'll remember, transformation was the one that Pastor Taryn taught just a few weeks back that says transformation is our pursuit. Now, how exactly do we pursue transformation, and how do we know when we got it, right? Like, how do we know when we actually um, grabbed a hold of being transformed? Because a lot of us are growing and changing, and we don't realize we're growing and changing. You're about to see perhaps some relatives you haven't seen in a while during Thanksgiving, and they're going to realize you've changed some, and maybe you're going to realize they've changed some, maybe for the good, maybe for the worse, I don't know. That's for you to decide. (laughs) But at the same time, we always don't realize that we're changing. We don't realize that we're growing. But I want us as a church to grow in being intentional with how we grow and the things that we put into practice to grow that God has given us to help us to live this transformed life. And so today, we're actually going to start with Scripture, and we're going to talk about how Scripture transforms us. And I know that Scripture can be very intimidating. Scripture can be something that maybe you've opened up before, you've looked at, you've gotten maybe to Genesis chapter 3, and you're like, okay, I'm doing good. And then Genesis chapter 4, and you're like, what? And then Genesis chapter 5, you're like, huh? And then before you know it, you've got Lot and something with his daughters, and you've got people killing each other, and you've got angels, and you're like, what is going on here? And it can just be really confusing. And I know a lot of times the enemy wants to use those types of tactics to keep people from reading the scripture to make you feel overwhelmed or like you can't understand this. I want to set your mind at ease this morning. Can I tell you that God is not playing some big giant practical joke and he did not give us his word to confuse us and laugh at us and go, ha, 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 watch him try to read this. God gave us his word because he wants us to understand it. Amen. Because there is power in understanding, because if I understand correctly, then that means I'm now in a position to apply it. And God not only wants us to apply the word and be doers of the word, but he wants us to apply it correctly. I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that as I'm understanding scripture, that I'm also applying it correctly. And then if I'm applying it, I'm going to take the next step. The next step is that I share it with other people. We share all sorts of things. We share our favorite restaurants. We share a good movie that we saw. We share something we're excited about with people. And we can do it with passion and with conviction. And we can talk about the football scores. And we can talk about who we think is going to, you know, get a a top ranking in the draft and how well they're going to do next season. And all those things we talk about with passion because we've studied it and we know it. Can I tell you that we need to be people who are more passionate about knowing God through the scripture and allowing that scripture to transform us than knowing anything else? It is more important for us to know about the Lord and to know about him, not just from a place of being taught from a pulpit or from uh, watching a, a video on YouTube or listening to a podcast, but for you to be able to understand the scripture for yourself. And so I'm going to give you a lot of practical things today. And I hope that you came prepared to write something down or to type something out because I believe you're going to hear a lot of things today that are going to be very practical that you can put into place today. And listen, I'm going to give you a lot and I'm going to do that on purpose. And I don't want you to try to drink from a fire hydrant, okay? Because that's going to be messy and dangerous. Uh, and I don't want you to feel like you've got to eat everything at the buffet, okay? So just pick out 
a few things that you think you could put into practice today and begin applying those things. The main thing is not that you do all these things after today. The main thing is that you do something. And my hope and prayer would be that you're doing something that maybe you didn't do before because maybe you weren't equipped to do it. Maybe you didn't know how. And now you've been equipped and now you feel like you can actually go out and approach scripture with a different mindset than perhaps you did before. All of us have different attitudes towards the scripture because we all grew up very differently and have seen the scriptures used differently maybe in our house. Maybe you just had the big giant family Bible on the table and it just collected dust and still had all the gold lining on the edges and no one ever opened it except maybe to try to look at a picture if there was a picture in it or something. Uh, Maybe some of you uh, grew up like a guy in the church that I pastored in Wisconsin. He told me that until 1970 in their county, there was a certain denomination that wouldn't allow you to have a Bible in your home because the church didn't want you to be confused by reading it. So they just said, you can't own a Bible and have it if you're a part of this church. And he said, can I have a Bible in your church? I said, absolutely. Yes, sir, you can. How crazy is that? That was so foreign to me to even think that someone wouldn't allow you to have a Bible in the United States because they thought you'd be confused. I don't believe God is playing some big practical joke. I believe he wants us to understand, apply, and share the very word of God and allow it to transform us. We should be different today than we were yesterday. We should be growing day by day. We should be growing month by month, year by year. Amen? And it matters a great deal where we start. And how we look at scripture. So let's start with scripture by going to Matthew chapter 7. And let's look at the conclusion of Jesus' sermon on the mount. As he's wrapping up this great sermon that he's giving. As he's speaking, the very word of God is being written. As as he's speaking, the very word of God is being taught. And life is being shared through that word. As Jesus is teaching. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus is wrapping things up here. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So Jesus uses this illustration of constructing a house on a foundation, and he gives two very different a contrast here of this idea of a solid rock or a good foundation and then a shifting sand foundation that every time the tide comes in, it moves, it shifts, it's not stable, it's not solid. Where you start with reading scripture, the mindset that you take, the approach that you take to it matters a great deal because a lot of people have this idea that they believe the Bible and therefore it's true. They live by this mantra in a lot of things in their life because they believe that truth is relative and all they have to do is believe something and therefore that makes it true. If you start off with the statement of I believe the Bible, therefore it's true, then you think that your belief makes it true. Folks, can I give you a reality check here if that's you? The Bible is true whether you believe it or not. The Bible is true whether you believe it or not because if I start from this place of I believe the Bible, therefore that makes it true, then I'm going to go hunting, proof texting, looking, and using the scripture as a way to back me up 
listen, God's not interested in backing you up. It's not that God's wanting you to go tear apart his word so you can back up your argument with your atheist coworker, Or that God's backing you up so that you can go and live a certain way or justify certain behaviors. No, it's God. Teach me your word. The Bible is true and I believe it. It's a very, very different approach. The Bible is true. So therefore, that means there's going to be times if I live by, if I live by this way and I believe that the, that the Bible is true and, and, and I believe it, if I live that way, then that means there's going to be crossroads that I'm going to come across at various points in my life where my belief and the Bible don't quite agree. And somebody's going to have to be willing to give. And if I start off with the Bible is true and I believe it, then I have to change. That means this, and this is a hard thing to say, and I hope you'll still be my friend after hearing me say it. You didn't even know we were friends, did you, some of you? We are. We're good. I have to be willing to give up what I believe for the truth. Oh, I'm going to say that slow so I can say it some more because somebody didn't hear that. I have to be willing to give up what I believe for the truth. That means that when my belief intersects with the word of God and there's conflict there, I have to go, you know what? I have to trust not in my experience, not in my belief, not what I've always been told, not in my tradition. I have to trust in the word of God and allow God to show me what I need to believe instead of me trying to use God to back up what I think or the way I want the world to operate. So many people do this. They do this all the time. They use the Bible and they cherry pick scriptures to suit their agendas and they go out proof texting and they're not even using the Bible in the way it was intended to be used. And they're going out using it to basically justify their behaviors, their thought processes, their values, their agendas, and they'll go throw scriptures out all the time. And they're misusing them and they don't understand the Bible because they don't understand the purpose of the scripture. You see, transformation is our pursuit and scripture is our starting point. Those are two of our core values here at BCC, but they should also be core values of every believer who names the name of Jesus. That transformation is our pursuit and that scripture is our starting point. Scripture anchors us from misunderstanding who God is. The Bible acts as this grounding anchor. This Bible acts as a filter and a foundation for knowing the true character and nature of God, for knowing who he is, for knowing his, his values and his heart towards us. That means that any concept that we uh, perceive or idea that we have about God should be viewed through the lens of his word, not through our feelings, not through the culture, not through what culture tries to normalize, not what's popular, because some people are like, well, I want God to be this way. Well, too bad, his word says he's otherwise. <laughs> some people want God to fit in the context of how they think that he should be because they think that they can properly define for themselves what good is, what love is, what's right, and so they attach all of their definitions to God and say, well, God has to be this way. But look at his word. His word shows us who he is. So that means that if God is love and I see God acting in ways that I don't think are loving, then somebody's mixed up here. Either I've got a bad de definition of love or God's a liar. One of the two, because either God is not describing himself accurately or maybe I don't really understand love the way I thought I did. So I think I'm going to side with his ways are higher than my ways, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. 
I have to go back to that foundation of scripture instead of me attaching all of these isms and ideas and cultural nuances to God because I think God should be this way because culture is this way. God and culture conflict regularly. You know this, right? Okay, just wanted to make sure we were on the same page because a lot of times you see culture has ideas about the way they want God to be and they seep into the church. They seep into our minds. They seep into our, our, our thought processes and we begin to think, well, God should be this way because that would make God more popular. That would make people like God more if he were this way. And so then we try to bend scriptures to our will, and that's not how scripture was intended to be used, nor was it the purpose of scripture. So where you start with matters greatly. Where you start matters a lot. If I ever get into an argument with someone about different things that the Bible says or does not say, I can always tell where they start from most of the time because I can see very clearly if they're trying to push an agenda or if they're using proof texting because they always pull from the same text over and over again to try to prove their ideas and their agendas. And I go, well, have you looked at the context of that? Have you looked at that holistically? Because there are a lot of voices out there in the world today, amen? <laughs> and we need to understand this, that all of those voices out there are influencing people and we need to be able to distinguish what is good from evil, amen? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, the Apostle Paul, he warns young Timothy and tries to get him to stay true to what is right by saying this in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. God wants us to rightly handle his word. The writer of Hebrews over in Hebrews chapter 5 writes to the Jewish people by saying this in verse 12. He says, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So here the writer of Hebrews says, it's really important that you know what's from God and what's right and what's good and what's not. And the way that you're gonna learn that, he says, is by practicing. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Practicing, using, exercising that power, that gift of discernment, and by making sure that we're understanding how to cling to what is true and not just cling to our traditions. Not just cling to the things that we've always done or the things that we've learned or the patterns or the behaviors that we've always learned. But instead, we have to be willing to give up what we believe for the truth when the truth is presented. And make sure that we have teachable hearts and that we don't get so focused on us being right because, man, can I tell you that God wants us to be teachable. God is not impressed with the fact that we can answer all of the questions in the quiz. God wants us to know him and know his word, and to be teachable, because I don't yet know what I don't know. I, I just don't, and guess what? Neither do you. We don't know what we don't yet know, so I have to be teachable. I have to be humble. I have to be hungry for the truth, and I want to know him for who he is, not for who culture tells me that he is, not even for maybe the idea that I was handed of who he was, because the way I was raised in the church was very different than what I believe now. And as I see a lot of the things that I grew up believing, what changed my view of God? His word, his word. Because the way that I was taught the scripture was a very uh, self-serving way 
And the way I was taught scripture was basically you take this scripture, you pull it way out of context, you confess it a whole lot, and God will be like the proverbial Santa Claus, and you'll get whatever you want from God as long as you're a good boy and you pay your tithes and you pray enough and you act right enough. And if you do it, then you had enough faith and you believed enough, and then anything you wanted just magically appeared. And if you didn't get that, if you were sick or if someone died or if you were poor or whatever, you just didn't have enough faith or believe the right scriptures. And that's a lot of the way that I was brought up to approach the scripture. And a lot of people still take pieces of that and they still believe that because they want to chase after the things of God that make them feel good and they want to stay away from the things that may challenge them. They want to hold on to the things that just tickle their ears. And let me tell you, it sells books. It sells lots and lots of books and it can be very popular. Can I set you free here this morning just because someone calls themselves a pastor just because they have a New York Times best-selling book, just because their church may be slam-packed full of people every Sunday morning, does not mean that they are rightly dividing and handling the Word of God. Don't be fooled. Don't be deceived. Don't just pick that book up off the shelf. I remember years and years ago, and some of you, I may get a nasty letter or two about this, but I love you anyways. There was a book that came out, and it was about one scripture And some of you remember this, and some of you bought this book, because I bought this book, The Prayer of Jabez. Does anyone remember the book, The Prayer of Jabez? There's a Prayer of Jabez book. There's a Prayer of Jabez sermon series. There's Prayer of Jabez movies. We don't know anything about Jabez. It's one scripture. And people use that scripture to say, oh, I'm going to be blessed if I pray this prayer and pray the way that, that Jabez prays as if somehow I got this formula out of the scripture of how to get things from God. That's not the purpose of that scripture. That's not the purpose of that at all. But it was so misused and it was so abused. I think that one of the most abused scriptures that we ever see in our day and age is Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, well, I'm going to run up on top of this building here in just a minute. I'm going to fly because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And let me tell you that, 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 that I'm just going to jump and go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think that I'll, I think I'll be injured maybe dead and Jesus just going to be shaking his head because now now we take that same scripture and we apply it to things like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me I can ace my math test I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me I can ace this job interview I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me you know I can I can I can stand up to this person I can do all and and let me tell you that is an inappropriate use of that scripture it that scripture is not given so you can win your basketball game Because there's more to that scripture than just I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There's scriptures before it. There's scriptures after it. There's a whole context of what was happening and going on that you need to know if you're going to properly use that scripture. Now, I know that using that scripture that way makes you feel good. But just because you feel good doesn't mean that it's right. There's lots of things in this world that feel good that aren't right. And I don't want to use the word of God in a self-serving way because then I will take that same approach to other scriptures that I may drift into error. This is part of us maturing as believers. And we need to understand how to rightly handle this word of truth. So what does Philippians 4.13 mean? Well, back up and read Philippians 4.12, read 4.11, read 4.10, read the scriptures after it, read what's going on in the context. And you will discover that the apostle Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi and he's writing it from prison. So you have to think Paul's writing these words from prison And he told them right before he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. He said that I've learned how to be a base. I've learned how to abound. So basically he's saying, I've learned how to do with plenty and I've learned how to do without. 
I've been in both situations. Paul's reminded probably of the times where he was celebrated by people and thought of as this, this uh, uh, high-ranking Pharisee who they thought very well of, and he was probably invited to all sorts of banquets and dinners and celebrated, and it was an honor to have him in their home, and he's been to those places before. But he's also been where he didn't know where his next meal was coming from. He's been shipwrecked. He's, he's been bit by snakes. He's been, you know, uh, chased out of town. He's been in prison. He's been beaten. All these things. Why do you keep sharing Christ? It's not because when I share Christ that everything goes my way and goes good. And it's not because all these things always go bad. No, the reason I do it and the way that I'm able to do it in either one of those circumstances I find myself in is because I can do all of this through Christ who strengthens me. And that's the context of Philippians 4.13. And now when I look at what Paul meant when he said that, it makes me think twice about thinking I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me means I can win my basketball game because Jesus is going to help me. It helps me to see that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me now translates into my life as meaning whether things are going good right now or whether they're not, Christ is still worthy of me serving him and doing whatever I do is under the Lord. So that means if I live with an unbeliever, that means if I work for an unbeliever and they make my life particularly difficult because I'm serving Christ and they're not, I can still serve Christ and do it well and do my job well because I can do this because Christ has given me the purpose and strength to do it. That's a lot more powerful meaning than I can ace the test or win the game, amen? That's the context. This is where I want us to get to, to where we're seeing the scripture this way, to where we can understand. For us to, un, to, for us to grow in understanding, applying, and sharing the scripture, we must grow in our ability to interpret the scripture. We have to grow in our ability. This is how we guard ourselves from false teaching. This is how we guard ourselves from cherry-picking text to fit our agenda and proof-texting and just chasing after what's popular or chasing after that thing that is, you know, flying off the shelves. And not everything that flies off the shelves is bad, but I just don't want us to be suckered into something that is dangerous. I want us to be people of the Scripture who understand who God is because can I tell you this? The Scripture is god writing his word to us so we can learn about him. The Bible is about God. And I want to set you free here. I hope you like me after I say this. The Bible's not about you. The Bible is about God. Now, understand, the Bible was written for you, but it was not written about you. Sometimes people open the scripture and they try to find themselves. Why are you looking for yourself in scripture? Why don't you go instead and look for God? Because scripture shows us the written word of who God is, how he interacts with humanity, his heart for us, his redemptive plan for us, his promises to us, and what he wants us to do in this world to live for him and to glorify him. That's why he gave us his word to show us himself. The the thing we see about ourselves in Scripture is our sinfulness and our need for Him. The thing we see about ourselves is our inability to rescue ourselves in our own strength. The thing we see in Scripture about us is that we desperately need Him, and then He shows Himself time and time again being that one who is faithful. I want to help you out with some of the tougher texts in Scripture because I know some of you have come across this before. And you're, you'll read something weird in Genesis or Leviticus or 
Exodus and, and you're reading something that may be difficult for you to understand and you're wondering why would this be going on and you want to have a discussion group about it. Listen, all that stuff's fine and good. There's nothing wrong with talking about all those things. Just be careful to not land and be dogmatic about those things because scripture doesn't give us all of those things, which means if I don't have all the cultural nuances and reasons for all the things they did the way they did it, if I don't have all that reasoning, then did God give me something imperfect? Did God give me something full of holes? No, he gave us his perfect word, so that must mean that must not be the point then. So I have to then zero in on the point. And what is the point? What does this text teach me about God? Instead of wondering what does this mean in in, in this context or that context, no, no, just take a step back and look at the bigger picture and say this is a hard text to understand and I don't fully understand it. And I'm gonna keep pursuing that and I wanna understand it, but at the same time, I still can come to a healthy conclusion by asking myself, what does this text teach me about God? I may not understand why they did something a certain cultural way or all those things. You may be able to research and find some of those helpful things, maybe, but not always. How can it then still be useful? How can I still not get frustrated in reading it? Ask yourself, what does this teach me about God? Because remember, this is God showing us who he is through his word. So I'm going to give you some practical things to do here. And I want you to write these down. Maybe it's getting close to Christmas time. Some of you are thinking about getting a new Bible or something like that. And so I just want to talk about some really practical pieces here. And I hope this helps you in your transformation pursuit when it comes to understanding God through the scripture. Number one. Get a translation of the Bible you can understand. One you can understand. I think that's a great place to start. Some of you, you got a Bible and you open it up and you're like, "Mm mm-mm, I don't understand this. Okay, well, get one you can understand. Start somewhere. I I don't believe that there is one translation that that has just got everything just just so perfectly explained that you can understand it. So find one that you can understand. Maybe find several that you look at. That you're like, I like this one and I like this one. It'll help you to understand. There are primarily two different types of Bible translations that you can find. And it all has to do with the way that the translators actually translated the scripture. One of those is a word-for-word translation, which means that the people who were translating it actually looked at the original writings and took the actual Greek word or the Hebrew word or the Aramaic word, and they took those words literally, word-for-word, and tried to find the best word in whatever language they were translating into, English for us. They were trying to find the best English word to kind of match that word or that idea. And sometimes they'd have to use several words to match that one word, but they're trying to do as best they can word for word. Word for word translations are going to be um, things like the New American Standard uh, Bible or um, the ESV, which is what I teach out of. It's my favorite translation of scripture. It was written on an eighth grade level. Um, So it's on an eighth grade reading level. And um, NIV is kind of a hybrid of a word-for-word translation and a thought-for-thought translation. So a thought-for-thought translation, instead of taking the individual words, takes groups of of words and tries to find the best words to match the thought. And so their interpretations are a little broader, not quite as narrow as a word-for-word. And there's benefits to both, okay? But when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to uh, this solid rock, I would highly recommend you sticking with a word-for-word when it comes to that because sometimes you can compare translations and you can read 
the way that a thought for thought put a certain verse and the way a word for word, and you go, oh, that's not even saying, you know, the, the close to the same thing. It's very, very interesting uh, how um, you will see those differences. So I would encourage you, um, if you do have uh, one of those Bibles, or if you're looking for a new Bible, uh, my favorite study Bible is the ESV Study Bible, hands down. I think it's fantastic, but let me caution you against this. The words of scripture that are in that book are inspired, not the commentary. Right? The commentary is, was not, uh, does not carry the same weight as the words of God. Okay? So the commentary is the commentary. That means you need to learn to eat the fish, spit out the bones. Because sometimes I'll read some things in my commentary and I'm like, mm-mm, no, I don't think so, not today. Because I know they have their own bents. They, have their, they try to be objective, but it's hard to be objective. Is any one of us truly objective? I mean, we all have our own uh, leanings and our own ideas, and those things get put onto that. So I have to look at Scripture and go, no, this is important. Commentary is helpful, but the commentary is not, thus saith the Lord. Amen? So uh, the NIV, like I said, is kind of a hybrid of the thought for thought and the word for word. Uh, it's the most popular modern-day translation. Most of you probably have um, an NIV, and, and it's, it's fine and it's good. And the NIV Study Bible is fantastic because actually the people who translated it are also the ones who wrote the commentary for it. So that's really a nice uh, thing that you can have there. It helps give you some historical context. You can actually read about like what was going on during that time in history and all those things like that. And it'll help you kind of have the, the, the understanding of how to approach reading that particular book. Did you also know that the scripture, the way that we have it formatted, is not written chronologically? So it's not that this thing's in chronological order. If you want a chronological Bible, they sell those, and you can actually read it a little bit more chronologically. I would recommend to you um, a read the Bible through plan called Foundations, and it's, uh, it is by a guy named Rob Kelly. Foundations, I've gone through it probably five, six times, and it actually tries to piece the scriptures together in a chronological way that makes the Bible very interesting to read through and to study in a year. So Foundations by um, Rob Kelly is a great one. So I want to equip you with that. The second thing, I want you to begin practicing good exegesis when you study scripture by considering the historical context and the literary context around what you're reading. Huh? Yeah, that's right. We're going a little bit bit of schooling here this morning, a little bit of um, seminary maybe. But I want us to practice good exegesis. That means that as I'm exegeting the text and I'm looking at what does this actually mean, that I'm considering the historical narrative. That means what's going on in history during that time. What's going on in um, that setting? Are there things that I can find within that literary unit to be able to understand more about why maybe this was being written. A lot of Paul's letters are really easy to do this on because he always opens up his letters by saying, I'm Paul, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this or I'm, I'm wanting to come see you guys or I'm writing this from prison or in chains or you know, these things happened. And he can like kind of help you to paint that picture of what's going on. So it helps you to understand what was actually happening within the context of these writings. If I consider that, it will help me as I'm trying to interpret scripture. And I know that a lot of us like to do word studies and we'll like to pull out maybe a Greek concordance or something like that and and use some of those great tools. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I want to tell you this. If you ever do a word study, you're just focusing on one word perhaps in the scripture, 
Words only have meanings in sentences. Sentences only have meaning in paragraphs. Paragraphs only have meaning in the rest of that literary unit or that subject matter that's being dealt with. That subject matter that's being dealt with only has meaning within the rest of that book that was written. That book needs to be interpreted in light of the rest of the whole Bible. So don't take one word and go, oh, the Holy Spirit showed me something that no one's ever found and go off and run with it and create your own cult, okay? Let's not do that. We'll try to stay away from that, okay? It's great to do word studies, but remember that word only has a meaning in that sentence. Don't just pull that word out of context. Don't just take that sentence out of context because that sentence only has meaning in paragraphs. Actually, the, the, the smallest portion of text that we should ever look at to interpret the meaning from should be a paragraph. And say, so, so I want you to remember that. If you're reading something and you, even if you have one of these calendars, okay, that has like a scripture of the day. Any of you ever had one of those before? Like a scripture of the day? Those are great. I'm not like criticizing them, but don't just read that and go, oh, that's really nice. Because it could be talking about like people dying or war or something like that. And it doesn't matter if it makes you feel good. I want to know what's going on so I can rightly handle the word of God. Amen? Jeremiah 29 11 is a perfect context of that. Go back and read the context of Jeremiah 29 and 11. I'll make you think differently about that scripture. What was actually happening there? Oh, for I know the thoughts and plans I have for you. Well, let me tell you God's thoughts and plans that he was telling them that he had for them. You're going to be imprisoned. You're going to be, the Babylonians are going to capture you. A lot of you are going to die for 70 years. But don't worry. I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you. <laughs> That's so comforting. <laughs> You see, and we just take that, we slap it on a board at Hobby Lobby, and you pay 15 bucks for it with 25% off, you know, coupon. <laughs> and, and, and we don't think a thing about it. Well, what does that mean? Well, well what does that mean? It doesn't mean that God's just going to prosper us on stuff. It means, hey, even through those difficulties, God's going to be faithful. I need to remember, what does this thing mean? I want to anchor myself in that. So the smallest that we should interpret should be um, a paragraph. I hope that helps you. Uh, the third thing is begin practicing good hermeneutics or Bible interpretation by asking this question. This is a very, very important question. This is a common sense method of interpreting the Bible. What was the original intent of the original inspired author? And anchor your interpretation to that intent. What was the original intent of the original inspired author? And, and then ask this question also. What would the original hearers or readers of that have received that as? Because sometimes we put our, 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 our modern day 21st century interpretation on the Bible in our context when they would not have heard that at all. That would not have meant that to them at all. So listen, I want to set you free here. The Bible cannot mean what it never meant. The Holy Spirit is, is, is not changing the meaning of the text. Because if the Bible can mean anything, then it doesn't mean anything. If it can mean whatever, then who, how can we trust the Scripture? The Bible can't just mean anything. We have to trust in the Scripture to say, okay, Lord, show me what this means by what did the original author intend that was led and inspired by your Holy Spirit and help me to see that in the context so that I can anchor myself to that interpretation. What would those original hearers have received that as? What would that have meant to them? Because you first have to ask the, answer the question, what did it first mean before I can answer the question, what does it mean to me today? A lot of people want to just start with what does it mean to me today, right? They want to open up the Bible. What does this mean to me today? Well, what did it first mean to them who first heard it? Because you ain't the first person who's heard this. You ever thought about that before? 
It's a little freaky you think about that, right? I'm not the first person who's ever heard this. There were people thousands of years ago who heard this. What did it mean to those first hearers? Because what was the inspired original intent of that author that the Holy Spirit was using to pen the words of God to teach us about God? How would they have received that? That changes a great deal of how we would look at Scripture. It also changes a great deal how we would interpret it because we want to put our American uh, spin on it. We want to put our 21st century spin on it. We want to find out what this prophecy means and what that prophecy means. Have you ever read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation and thought, what would this have meant to the first people who received those letters? What would they have gotten out of this? Would they have been thinking about microchips and, you know, who the president is? And they wouldn't even know what a United States was. What would, what would that have meant to them? And how can that original interpretation, how can that encourage me and minister to me? But I first need to learn what it meant before I can learn what it means to me today because the Bible cannot mean what it never meant. The only person who was ever inspired was the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, by the Holy Spirit was, was the original author. And listen to this. Don't give the Holy Spirit credit for some off-the-wall interpretation outside of the original context. Amen, hallelujah, praise God, thank you, Jesus. The Holy Spirit is probably exhausted getting credit for things that the Holy Spirit did not say. Well, I know that this scripture has traditionally always meant this, but let me tell you, the Holy Spirit showed me. Well, eh, danger, Will Robinson. Hang on, hold the phone. The Holy Spirit showed you something different? Hang on, does it fit within the context? Can you show me where you got that? I need to be very careful that I just don't get excited by something being overtly spiritual because someone stamps the Holy Spirit on it. Was it indeed something that the Holy Spirit opened and revealed to them? If it is, it's going to be anchored in the original intent, not something off the wall. You see, this was the biggest problem facing the church in the New Testament was this idea of Gnosticism. These people coming around and twisting scripture and making head knowledge the priority and coming around and making all of these truths about God become slightly manipulated to where people began to live differently and began to use these things in ways that were not of God. And this same tactic the enemy is still using today because Gnosticism elevated knowledge above everything else and I thought, oh, the more I know, ooh, tell me something I haven't heard before, preacher. Oh, show me some great mystery. The scripture says the greatest mystery has already been revealed. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. There's no better sermon than that that you're ever going to hear. Like, that's the best. And if anyone says, I've got something better than that, run the other way. Because no one is greater than Jesus, no one's higher than Jesus, no story is greater than the gospel of Jesus. Nothing beats Jesus. Nothing that means if I never heard anything else for the rest of my life other than Christ crucified, that that's enough because Jesus is enough. I don't have to know, someone will come and find this old story in 1 Kings that no one's ever read before. They've glazed over and they'll come talk about it and, and make this huge sermon about it. Oh, I never saw that in the scripture before. That's because that's not what it meant. <laughs> and we have to stop using the scripture as allegory. We have to stop using it allegorically where we insert ourselves as the hero of the story. We are not the hero of the Bible. Jesus is. You are not David and Goliath is not your boss at your job or that mountain of debt that you have to overcome. And all you have to do is just sling those stones in faith of the word of God, the solid rock of the word of God, and that giant will fall down. That's not why that story's in the Bible. <laughs> 
If you want to identify with anybody, you're not David. You're the scared Israelites over to the side that need someone else to fight your battle for you. Because the real idiom is that Goliath is sin and the Savior is the one who's delivered us from sin because you couldn't overcome it on your own. If you want to get into looking at parallels, we have to stop making ourselves a hero of the Bible. Jesus is the hero, and it's his word, and we don't need to take this thing out of context. Amen? It's not some allegorical thing that we can just make mean whatever we want, because if it means whatever we want it to mean, then what does it really mean? Scripture transforms us when we practice to understand, apply, and share the word of God. That's our big idea today. Scripture transforms us when we practice to understand, apply, and share the word of God. Remember what Hebrews said? It's a muscle of discernment that gets exercised. We want to exercise that, that muscle. That means that I need to learn to eat the fish, spit out the bones. That means that I need to learn how to preserve unity, even when I may disagree with people over secondary issues. If it's a salvation non-negotiable issue, well, that, that's a different conversation because then they're not of us. But if it's over issues that are, have no bearing on salvation, if it's just preferences or traditions or, or varying interpretations where you can make arguments for this or that, we have to... We have to preserve unity within the body of Christ instead of splitting hairs over things and splitting churches over things. More churches have split, more, more hurt feelings have been had and more ugly words have been said over things that have nothing to do with salvation and we should be ashamed and we should repent. That is not the church that God intended for us to be the I'm right club and everyone else is wrong because I'm so smart. Where's the humility in that? Where's the teachability in that? Because I don't know what I don't know yet. And if I find some truth, we can talk about it, but can we still agree to disagree and still be brothers and sisters in Christ? Can we still love each other? I mean, if you're of us and we, we agree on the essentials and we agree on the things of Christ, can we still not walk in love and in unity and with patience towards one another? Because maybe that person's not quite where I've come in my understanding of certain things. And maybe we just need to help each other. Maybe I'm too arrogant over here. Maybe I need to be tempered in that. You need to be humbled in that. I didn't say that in the first service. I don't know if that's for me or for somebody else or maybe several someones. I want to give you some resources. Um, how many of you have ever seen The Bible Project? Any of you ever watched that on YouTube before? You can go to thebibleproject.com. Now, all this stuff is eat the fish, spit out the bones. Don't go, oh, well, Pastor Derek said, uh-uh. Don't you do that. Because I'm not saying these people's doctrine is perfect and they've got everything figured out. What I'm going to point you to is good resources that have helped me grow. And I want you to be able to maybe utilize some of those and maybe they'll help you grow as well. Because I want to give you something practical to start with. On YouTube, um, you can just search the Bible Project or you can go to thebibleproject.com. If you're looking for a great resource to help you understand the historical narrative... Um, before you read a book of the Bible, like let's say you're going to go read Ephesians, right? Why don't you watch that little five, ten minute video online from the Bible Project about the book of Ephesians and then read the book of Ephesians. I guarantee you it'll come alive to you like never before. You'll be like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know this or understand this. Why? Because you're understanding the historical narrative, you're understanding what's going on there, and you're reading it with a different set of eyes and you're thinking about those original hearers, of that word. A lot of people were illiterate back then. There were very few people that knew how to read. So most likely most people heard the word. They didn't necessarily read it as freely as you and I read. So there were some that read, but most probably heard. So as you're watching that, think about those people. Think about 
those people in that church in Ephesus? What, what did Paul mean when he was writing that letter? What was going on? And then ask yourself the question, now what does that mean to me today? Because the word of God is written for us, but it, that letter wasn't necessarily written to us. It was a letter by Paul to the Ephesians, but God still uses it by his Holy Spirit to speak to us thousands of years later. Isn't that amazing? I think it's amazing. The word of God is alive. That's because it's not like any other literature that's out there. The word of God is alive. It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, amen? Dividing between soul and spirit. It's helping us to, to know between what's, what's God and, and, and what's just me. I wanna be able to rightly divide this thing. So make sure you go check out the Bible Project. Uh, that'd be a good thing for you to do this afternoon if you hadn't looked at that. Another one, um, there's a Christian bookstore called Mardell. And at mardell.com backslash uh, uh, Bible translation guide, if you wanna take a picture of that or write that down, it actually has a list of every published translation that's ever been published. And it will tell you whether it's a word for word, thought for thought, and it'll give you a little bit of background, like a, a couple of sentences or a paragraph on each one. And it'll show you texts in the Bible where they're different from other ones and you can compare those. So if you wanna look, or maybe you're like, what kind of Bible do I have? Well, go to that website and that'll help you out with that. This next one, freebiblecommentary.org. Um, this is my personal hero, my mentor, um, Dr. Bob Utley, he's the best Bible teacher alive. He's a modern day theologian. He spent 45 years as a professor of hermeneutics at Dallas Theological Seminary. And he taught this very thing that I'm teaching you today for a living. And this guy just has done this so well and so much. And he's, uh, he's just, he's my hero. And I think he's the best. And there's not a better one out there in my opinion uh, than Dr. Utley. So you can go to freebiblecommentary.com and he's got, every subject you've ever thought of, every word you've ever thought of, every, and he's written it all and he gives it all away for free. He's never charged a dime for it his entire life. And uh, even when he travels around and, and goes around preaching, um, he's, he doesn't charge people honorariums or nothing. He just tells them to give it to missions or something. And I love Dr. Utley. So I would uh, recommend you look at him on YouTube as well. You see that link up there. Um, another thing, how many of you guys have the Bible app? Any of you have that on your phone, the Bible U version? Yeah, that's a great app to have. I think that that's fantastic. I love that they give that away for free. The most downloaded app in the app store. I think it's amazing. What a great resource. You can actually play with different translations in that and kind of see the different ways that maybe that scripture, that part was, was uh, written. And uh, I, I do want to give you just a little bit of caution on the Bible app. There is a, a thing that's called lenses. Have you guys ever seen lenses on the YouVersion Bible app? It's this thing where you can take a picture of something and it'll like attach a scripture to it. And it's really cool. It gives you something to share on social media. And that's great and that's fine. But just because you, you took a picture of a sunrise and it says something about a sunrise doesn't always mean that's what that means. So just, just do your homework, you know, before you get too excited um, sharing all that stuff. Um, just something that's kind of, uh, I'd just caution you on, not stay away from, just caution you on. Um, I think one of the best books that's written in our modern times that I would encourage everyone to read, and I'll probably do a connection group on it sometime next year, and I'll invite you to be a part of that then. But if you want to get ahead of the game, uh, the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. I've read this book and taught this book several times because it just helps you to understand the Bible and how to look at it. It really set me free from so much garbage that um, I had believed because I wasn't handling the Bible in a way that um, was healthy and it was very self-serving and that was a big part of what helped my eyes to be open and I would just recommend that book to you and it's helped me grow so much. How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by a man named Gordon Fee. Um, F-E-E -E is the name. And then lastly, uh, YouTube, Dr. Bob Utley. Before we go this morning, I wanna share 
one more scripture from James chapter one, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. BCC, I hope that this has helped you grow today. This has been like kind of a hybrid teaching, preaching, kind of roller coaster ride, seminary, you know, class. I don't know what this is, but you experienced it and I taught it. Um, and I pray that maybe you've taken something today, whatever it is, that you can actually walk away with. And maybe if you were already doing all these things and you're like, awesome at interpreting scripture, awesome. Teach other people to do that. Like walk with other people and show them how you approach scripture. If maybe you've been convicted by some things, maybe you need to start looking at scripture a little differently than you did before. Remember, what does this show me about God? Where I start from matters a whole lot. And not just learn, not just gain more information, not just understand, but understand so you can apply and apply that and then share it with others. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And I pray that today with all this information, God, that we've gone through, I pray that it wouldn't be overwhelming to anyone, but maybe just one thing would stick with every person that they can go and do so that we can actually put this into practice and be a church that grows in maturity, be a church that not only grows in inspiration or in conviction, but also grows in our passion for your word and our understanding of your word. May we rightly handle this scripture so we can learn more about you and how you want us to live to bring you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you stand today? Before you go, if you need prayer for anything, our prayer team's gonna be available here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love for you to just uh, come and talk to us. Maybe if you wanna know more about the scripture, more about Jesus, would you talk to them, fill out a card, we'll follow up with you. And then lastly, don't forget, get involved and get connected here at BCC. A great way to do that is to go through our Next Steps class, which happens every Sunday um, after the second service at 1145. So it starts in one minute, because you had a long-winded preacher today. So before you go, it wasn't that Jonah five-word sermon today, baby. Uh, <laughs> it was longer than that. So number six and 24 says, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Lord, lift up his countenance upon each and every one of you and give you his peace. God bless you, BCC. Have an awesome week and a happy Thanksgiving. You're dismissed.